And now we're going to get into Russia drifting towards a total annexation of Ukraine. So we have two statements here that I'm going to go over. We have Medvedev saying that if the current regime in Ukraine maintains power, then the war will go on forever, which is a, a sort of a nice way of saying we're going to need a, a regime change in Ukraine in order to bring the war to an end. That's one thing. And then you have Denis Pushilin, who's the head of the Donetsk Republic, uh, the one of the annexed regions of the Donbass. He says, quote, we have to liberate the whole territory of Ukraine, end quote. He also says that if Ukraine controls even uh, a little bit of the territory, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says if Ukraine can, even if a little bit of Ukraine is still left over when the war is over, he's talking about, then it will continue to be a threat to Russia. This is the closest anyone on either side of this war has gotten to saying that the war is going to end in the way that I said that I believe it will end. That being in the total annexation of Ukraine. And I find it interesting that we have two statements back to back in the span of a week. On top of, you know, Russia now targeting the decision making centers in Ukraine. They haven't started targeting the Ukrainian government directly. They could bomb Kiev if they wanted to. So they haven't gotten to that point yet. But. They're targeting the decision-making centers, and you have two major figures in Russia calling one for regime change and the other for the total erasure of a Ukrainian state. Because if you, if you again, according to Prashilin, if even a little bit of Ukraine exists, it'll be a threat to Russia because it'll be armed and equipped by NATO and it'll be used as a staging ground for attacks against Russia by NATO. And here we go. Again, this is the closest anyone has come to saying that the war is going to end in a complete annexation of Ukraine. But this is what they're saying right now is essentially what I said. When the war began, because when we looked at Russia's stated war goals, which was denazification of Ukraine, demilitarization denazification and demilitarization the only way you can achieve those is by having some sort of de facto control over ukraine because you can't denazify you if ukraine is a nazi state you can't try leave the denazification up to them you can't let them choose who the nazis are that they're going to get rid of and then leave the others that they choose well if they're a nazi state you don't let them do that that means you have to be the one to do it if you want demilitarization, you have to, you, that's something you have to get the Ukrainians to sign on to in a treaty. You can't, they're not just going to do it on their own because you say so. But how are you going to get the treaty? You would have to beat them in a war. You would have to get them to sign. You'd have to force them to the table. Both of those required some sort of de facto control by Russia over it, nearly all of Ukraine, if not all of Ukraine. And I said as much when the war began, and I said that, well, if Ukraine joining NATO 
is the key threat to Russia that Ukraine poses, then you Russia cannot leave any of Ukraine alive. They can't leave a Ukrainian state at the end of this war. Because think about it. And again, I, I said this before, but I'll say it again for the purpose of this conversation. Think about it. If Ukraine today is as strong as it's ever been, it's fully mobilized, it has all this weapons, all these weapons, all this money, all this equipment from, from NATO, and they're fighting Russia as it is today, and they lose. Ukraine will lose territory, Russia will gain territory, Ukraine's going to lose people, Russia's going to gain people. A lot of those refugees who left Ukraine aren't going back, even when the war's over. So you combine that with massive population declines that going on throughout the West, but particularly bad in Europe, with an expanded Russian state, well, now the, the calculus changes. Because now you have a weaker and smaller Ukraine living next door to a larger and stronger Russia. You lost the war to a weaker version of Russia when you and your country was stronger. That being this war right now. So if the war ends and Russia wins, but there's still a piece of Ukraine left, you're going to have a weaker, potentially rump state Ukraine living next door to an enlarged, greater Russian federation. What incentive is there for the Ukrainians not to join NATO? What is What incentive is there for the Ukrainians not to take in all these more weapons and more equipment to arm themselves better against a potential Russian invasion again? Why would the Ukrainians believe that Russian... Russia wouldn't invade them a second time. And on the part of the Russians, the Ukrainians led you on for eight years with the Minsk agreements, right up until the day that they started massing troops on the border with the Donbass, which flew in the face of peace. And then when you tried to negotiate a peace with them right after you invaded, they said they led you on again, and then they said no. When the British and the Americans came in and promised them all, they promised them the moon. And then they said no to peace. You tried again and they said no to peace. The Ukrainians say no to peace. They don't honor their agreements. They don't honor the treaties that they sign. They don't honor the promises that they make to you. What reason would you have to believe that they're going to honor the peace treaty after this war? Saying that you're not going to have uh, NATO troops in your country, that you're not going to join it. Why would you trust them? after this established pattern of behavior. What reason would you have to do that? And what incentive would the Ukrainians have to do that and not go behind the backs of the Russians and violate the treaty to arm themselves again? I said it when the war began, that based on Russia's stated war goals that they would have to take control of Ukraine, and that based on the established patterns of behavior and the violations of trust, that Russia had no incentive to keep any form of Ukraine, an independent Ukraine, around. And here we go with two major figures from Russia, essentially together, not, not um, in any singular way, but if you take both of their statements together, that's what I've said. If Ukraine maintains power, then the war will go on forever. Well, that's regime change. You would need regime change if you're going to denazify Ukraine. That means you have to have control over Ukraine. Pushilin, we have to liberate the whole territory of Ukraine. The whole territory. Well, hold on now. That That's total annexation. 
That's total annexation. That's not, we're going to leave a rump state Ukraine. That's not, we're going to take half of Ukraine. We're going to, we're, we're, that's not, that's not, we're going to leave a piece of Ukraine alive and just take the bits and pieces that we want. That's total annexation talk. Why? Because Ukraine is going to continue to pose itself as a threat to Russia. That's literally what I've said. So it's it's a little jarring for me to hear what I've said repeated back to me almost verbatim on separate unconnected occasions or or at least the appearance of unconnected occasions from two different people who are pretty up there in terms of relevance in this conflict. And it hints at a change in the Russian position. Because again, this is the closest anyone on either side of this war has gotten to saying that it's going to end with a total annexation of Ukraine. Again, before it's, oh, it, we're going to free, the war is going to stalemate and it's going to be this way forever. That, that, that's, that's what people believe right now. Like, again, it's, it's almost laughable that people think the war is going to stay this way, but you can't blame people too much. I mean, we were just talking about the BBC. You know, you, when you look at the sources of information a lot of other people are working with, like I have to go outside the bounds of the mainstream to get my info, which is how I can be so gloriously ahead of the curve. But you can't blame them too much for bad takes. But before this, and I keep saying but, but before this, it was Russia was going to win the war in a matter of weeks. Then it was, oh, Russia's not as strong as we thought they were. Ukraine's going to win the war. Now it's, okay, let's let's freeze the conflict. I love that term. Let's freeze the conflict. Uh, and let's n completely ignore the Russian side, mind you. The people who say that only take into account the Ukrainians. And granted, the Ukrainians aren't willing to freeze the conflict either. I don't, so I don't know where th this idea is going to come from especially considering that none of the people proposing it, that we freeze the conflict, want to stop giving Ukraine weapons. And if you don't stop giving them weapons, well, they're going to keep fighting the war. They don't want to talk to Russia either, so the, the Russians are going to keep fighting the war. It's interesting watching uh, other analysts at work. But it, we went from Russia's going to win to Ukraine's going to win to let's freeze the conflict because nobody's going to win. Oh, and by the way, China's going to be the big winner to now we're starting to hear rumblings and again the the mainstream is going to be behind the curb on this but i'm starting to hear a lot more talk of partition talk of partition in ukraine and the first talk that i heard of it came out of uh douglas mcgregor and he's sort of been pushing the, the possibility for a while now in a number of his interviews and you can look at them uh sort of uh, towards the latter half of last year and the earlier bits of this year when he said that there's a possibility that the Russians or, or that the Polish move into the western bits of Ukraine and we talked about that on this episode which would mean World War Three, uh, a real World War Three. but now we have a sort of escalation of that to saying that the Russians uh, and you have you even have the Duran in on this and Jackson Hinkle coming in and saying that there's a possibility that Russia might offer up a partition to the Eastern European countries that they would eventually become borders with in the event that they annex Ukraine. It's like, we're going to take all these bits of land that are ethnically Russian and then some, 
beyond that to keep other people away from the ethnically Russian territories of Ukraine. And maybe if you look the other way, we might compensate you. You can have this piece of Western Ukraine. The, Hung the Polish can have this piece of Western Ukraine. The Hungarians can have this piece of Western Ukraine. And you just hand it over to your new neighbors as a sign of goodwill, essentially buying them off. <laughs> that's, a, that's essentially what, what's it's being talked about right now. It's being talked about as a potential uh, conclusion to this war as we as we sort of see that the stalemate phase of the war is coming to a conclusion, now we're starting to look more at what the possible end routes might be. So we're seeing that that talk has sort of sprung up and it, it started with McGregor. Again, he was the first that I know of who was talking about a potential partition of Ukraine. But now you're starting to see other people in the independent news who are on the Russia's going to win side of the argument sort of picking up the partition talk as well. Now, will it go down that way? Who knows? Who knows? I Although I do have a precondition, a potential precondition as to whether or not this partition might happen. Because uh, if you remember, if you remember, we talked last episode about the similarities between this war and the Crimean War and how the sudden and rapid change in Crimea's demographic makeup, where the, the Crimean Tatars fled in mass to avoid reprisals from the Tsarist government after the war was over, something like that could happen in Ukraine when this stalemate phase ends. Because the war is in the eastern bits of Ukraine. The rest of Ukraine is sort of untouched, aside from the occasional missile bombardment. But if the stalemate ends, becomes a war movement again, and it becomes clear that it's the Russians who are on the move and the Ukrainians are falling back, and the Russians move further and further west, there's a possibility that we'll see a second mass exodus of people out of Ukraine. My guesstimate is that maybe another three to five, potentially eight million. Although I won't necessarily go that high, but five million is the number I'm sitting at, is my estimate, my guess, that might leave in the face of this Russian steamroller. It could be more. And depending on how much more, you could have a, a depopulation of Ukraine with the primary demographic of the people leaving being those who would otherwise have resisted Russian rule. And if the people who would be most fervent in their resistance to Russian governance are the ones leaving, then that leaves the possibility of resettling the land with ethnic Russians, Russian loyal minorities, and Russified Ukrainians in essentially a Russian homestead act. Then you would bring in Russian business and Russian uh, agriculture to take advantage of the land. Ukraine has very fertile soil. Ukraine has rare earth in its western bits. Ukraine has natural gas on its Black Sea coastline. There's going to be massive business investment in Ukraine if Russia pushes all the way West. And if the Ukrainians who really don't like Russia leave en masse, well, then that's going to leave a Russified Ukraine. And at that point, there's no reason to partition Ukraine, aside from maybe a, a tiny piece of the Western West, the far Western most bits of Ukraine. 
we're talking around Lviv. Here, here you go, Poland. Here you go, Hungary. You can have that. And maybe even the Russians offer up the, the little bits of Crimea that sort of jut outwards in the south that cut Moldova off from the coastline. Maybe they hand that to Romania. Maybe they hand it to Moldova. Maybe they partition that piece of land specifically between Moldova and Romania. Give Moldova an access to the Black Sea, direct access. Keep Odessa for Russia and then buy off your neighbors and create a buffer state between you and NATO by giving Moldova a port on the Black Sea. Now they're in your debt. And you have a land bridge to Transnistria. Say, hey, we'll give you this if you recognize Transnistria as a part of Russia. Just saying. And so we're seeing talk of this partition coming along, but I think that the demographics will have to be taken into account. Uh, and I don't expect other people to sort of come to that epiphany that I have, because I was, it's a very specific history, specific epiphany and possibility, which centers on a, a very overlooked war in general. So I, I don't necessarily expect people to go, oh, this thing from the Crimean war might potentially happen in Ukraine. It's a very peculiar take from myself. But I feel that if that happens, if the Ukrainians go the way of the Crimean Tatars, then there's going to be no need for a partition of Ukraine, certainly not large parts of it, or if anything, it'll be very small parts of Ukraine that get partitioned, and the vast majority of the rest will just go to Russia. It'll just go to Russia. But, uh, but the rationale behind the idea that you're going to partition Ukraine, because going back to that talk, uh, the rationale being that you give a, num a piece of land to these Eastern European countries on the grounds that Russia wouldn't have to govern populations that are really hostile towards Russia. Again, we're talking about the far Western bits of Ukraine, the most hostile bits towards Russia. The further Western Ukraine you go, the farther, the more hostile you get to Russia. So why would Russia want to govern over these lands that hate them give them to the neighbors and buy them off. Now the neighbors have a stake in the post-war order. They have a stake in the new status quo. Because if you give Poland land, you give Hungary some land, you give Romania, Moldova some land, that's your that's all of your neighbors that you've essentially bribed off aside from Belarus. But shoot, Belarus is going to become a part of Russia. So they get access to the land anyway. They get access to the land anyway. They don't need the part. They don't need to partake in the partition, unless you want to formally move the the internal the new internal borders of Russia down by a, a few miles, where Belarus gets the bits and pieces of the swamp in the north of Ukraine. So the rationale being, you give this land to your new neighbors. You don't have to govern over populations that are hostile towards Russia. The neighbors now have a stake in the new status quo. So they will actively resist attempts by, say, the Western parts of Europe and the United States to sort of go back to the old status quo, the old borders, because the old borders would mean losing land. And essentially, Russia carves out a new sphere of influence for itself. Now, that's not saying that everyone's going to do everything that Russia wants, but they're going to be much more open to Russian proposals than they will be to the West. You'll create a rift between Eastern Europe and Western Europe because the East European nations will have a stake in 
maintaining a partitioned Ukraine because they have a piece of that land. Ru sure, Russia has a lot of it, but hey, we got something. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> we say hey, we salvaged Ukraine. We saved Ukraine by taking the territory. Now they're safe from uh, from uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. So you could, by way of giving up just a little bit of land, who happens to inhabit people that are hostile towards you, you give it up to the neighbors, let them deal with that problem. Because it's not like the Western Ukrainians like their neighbors either. They like they like the money, but they believe the Slavs to be undermensch, untermensch, subhuman. They don't like the Poles. They don't like the Hungarians. They don't like any of them. They don't like the Romanians. So you give that land to them, let the neighbors deal with the headache. You take all the good land anyway, which is the fertile central bits of Ukraine, the mineral rich Western bits of Ukraine. And of course you have the Black Sea coastline and all the natural gas that comes with. You give them that little bit of territory. You keep the vast majority of it. You get rid of the headache. And now you have easy governance of this really large new plot of land. So that's the rationale. And we're starting to hear a little bit more of that. And perhaps it'll make its way into the mainstream news as the war progresses at some point later on down the line. But I thought it was a very interesting thing to come out of the war, this talk of partition now. Because before it was just Douglas McGregor, now it's a few more people. And again, who knows? It's a possibility. If you have a mass exodus of Ukrainians, I don't see necessarily the point of the partition. But again, I am uh, not very qualified to predict the actions of Russia. I am just a humble observer. Uh, that's what I am, because that's all I can be. These guys are very unpredictable. So they could do it, and it could work out. And then you'll have a, a new order in Europe, one that includes Russia, and one that sees enlarged East European states who are not very willing to give the land back to Ukraine and will go against the United States and will go against Western Europe who will say we need to liberate Ukraine, give the land back to Ukraine. They're going to say, no, it's our land now. So you'll create a divide in NATO. So they'll be too divided with each other to come at you, giving you the time to consolidate your land. So. It does make sense from a, a cynical, you know, hard core point of view. Will it happen? We'll just have to wait and see. The war has to end first for it to happen. I'll be honest with you. So we could be waiting quite a while to see whether or not this pans out. But it was a very interesting topic that I'm starting to see. And perhaps we'll hear more talk of it as the war goes on. But in any case, that is the proposals of partition. But now, this segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.